Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Okay, guys, we are back today with one of our faves, Melody Bray. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are my favorite, too. Yay. Yay. We love having you. Yeah, obviously, because we were like, please, can you come back? How about now? How about now? How about today? (laughs) I'll always have time for you. And if you have been listening when Melody is on, we do typically dive real deep into politics in regards with Black women and the fight and the push that they've had, as well as advocating and what it looks like on local levels. And of course, the journey and the fight is not over at all. It never will be, obviously. But it's only fair that we come to celebrate the victories when we can, including that we made it through the inauguration. Praise be. Without any big, big, big whoops. Then the swearing in of Georgia's first black senator and the first Jewish senator and the youngest seated senator today. And uh, to talk about what it looks like for the future and how we make sure to not slow down. So welcome back, Melody. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. I am just basking in the glow of calm and normalcy. <laughs> normalcy. Guys? Isn't that so sad? <laughs> yes. That we're like, it's yeah. normal. Listen, my bar is very, no, very low. Very low. Yeah. I think we all are. Yeah, when I right? saw like, a news story that said, Joe Biden wore a mask on a White House balcony, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, our bar is so low. (laughs) This is news. It is. It's hilarious. And the fact that that now, yeah, people are getting mad about things that are so ridiculous. That is phenomenal. Let's go back to just talking about the filibuster. Whatever. Right? You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Melody, you and I had a brief moment where I was like texting you pretty soon after the Senate seats were called. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to have to have you back on the show. And then before we could even talk about plans <laughs> of when you should come back, all hell broke loose. Yeah. And we everything just paused. So I didn't get to ask you then, which is appropriate that I should ask you now, what was your reaction when you saw that Warnock and Ossoff were claiming the victories of and calling for the Senate win? Working together leading up to it, we all kind of said to one another, It's not about the win, guys. You know, it's about us fighting for people, empowering, giving them a voice, making sure that folks know that somebody is listening to them and they have avenues provided to them to express their vote. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's better when you win. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? The first half of the next day was glorious. It It was like I got up, the sun was shining. Um, you know, the texts and the emails and phone calls among one another. It was just, I mean, here in Georgia, having the goalpost moved from November 3rd out to January 5th, and a lot of us gave up our Thanksgivings and our Christmases and our New Year's time. You know, some folks didn't travel to see family because they were serving people out on the streets and didn't want to put their family in, in at risk. To know that that sacrifice actually resulted in the result you wanted. It's just great. And then being able to see them get sworn in, uh, you know, it's so rare that you work hard on something and you get that immediate gratification as opposed to like years from now, I'll till that soil and I'll be able to, you know, reap something from it. So 
it was great for half a day. Right for half a day. I mean, for sure. I know the night before, I don't know about you. I think we did text a little bit. I was like, I stayed up all night the night before, going back and forth, checking results, checking results. What was your night like? We got word from <laughs> the Georgia Democratic Party at about 5 o'clock p.m. before polls closed that things were looking very good in a very confident right. way, more confident than I would have expected. So I went to sleep kind of feeling like I'm going to wake up and this is all going to turn out a lot. I, I went to sleep with confidence. So And wow. we were all exhausted. Um, so it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was very clear very early uh, with internal polling of how it was going to land. Annie, I don't think I've asked you any of this. How did you respond? How did you react the night before and then the morning you woke up? Well, I, not having this uh, connection to the Georgia Party either, um, (laughs) I thought it was going to be much closer than I had ever believed it would possibly be, but the Democrats would still lose. And I was happy with that, but I, I was pretty like, I'm I'm just going to go to bed knowing when I wake up Resigned. it's going to be sad news. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of been my way since even 2016 before Donald Trump won like that night I was like I'm not staying up for this because mm-hmm. I know my mind is it won't be good for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's kind of my thing is I try to unplug from it as much as I can and then in the morning I will deal with it. So that's kind of how I was, and I was trying to manage my mom's expectations because my mom this is from a really conservative area in Georgia, but she was really excited. And she's like, what if they win, Annie? What if they win? And I was like, mom, <laughs> get your head out of the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> calm down. Just calm down. Yeah. yeah. I actually was doing a back and forth texting or DMing with producer Sophie, who is a part of our iHeart Network, who lives in California. So she and I were just going back and forth uh, talking about the issues that we actually, you know, talked about Loeffler and, and the connotations that she would bring in had she had won. So it was a weird, like, interaction to see someone on the outside perspective yeah. looking in and being like, good luck, guys, even though, again, we don't necessarily, like, yes, we voted, but as for a person who did a little bit of volunteering, but not a lot, don't feel like that was much we can do outside of that. But it was really interesting to talk about, like, within our circle, how obviously it affected us very deeply. It is a, a thing because it's Georgia. That's where we live. This is where our representatives and things are changing. And we'd never really, like when we, the last time we spoke, we all talked about, eh, 50-50. We're going <laughs> to give at least just, if I can just get one of them, I'm going to be really happy. Yeah. But to th- this like blew out my expectation out of the water. I was like, oh my God, it happened. It, ha- it happened in my lifetime as, you know, in this moment. And then having someone from California being like, oh my yeah. God, y'all are going to save the country type of thing. <laughs> was like, what? Yeah. There was something about like being in this space at that time that was just a really, like you could feel the momentum, mm-hmm. you could feel the energy that, you know, your friend in California just didn't have the benefit of being able to, to kind of Right. what the groundswell felt like while you were here for those right. maybe two weeks leading up to it. So I, I need to also ask, because I, I have to, did you get a chance to celebrate, both of you? And if you did, what did you do? Did I get a chance to celebrate? 
No. I know. When chaos broke, I feel like I was in like, everything's falling apart. So I don't remember actually celebrating. But maybe the day of their swearing in is when I actually celebrated. But did y'all get a chance to do so? Well, I, on inauguration day, as you know, Samantha, I celebrated New Year. I did like champagne. I ate <laughs> peas and greens. And yeah, like I did, I did my New Year. I was like, well, this on January 6th, I was like, I got, okay, 2021, you screwed me over already. I'm going to try again <laughs> on January 20th. So that was kind of my day of like releasing a breath and taking that moment of, wow, I really didn't think this would happen in Georgia. Like I still have a lot of problems with swing states and that whole narrative, but I felt like one of the hottest girls at a party or something. Right. Like, everybody like, People are looking oh. at me. <laughs> <laughs> so much attention coming your way. So many postcards. Like, oh, hey. <laughs> that's so good. So that was, that's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I, did, I, I honestly, it's you asking that question is actually the first time that I was like, oh, I guess I didn't really celebrate, which is pretty sad <laughs> yeah. to think of it but no I yeah I I, I didn't realize that we went out to drinks that night on the 5th like before anything really came mm-hmm. in after the polls had closed um and that was it so um, maybe some celebration is in order yeah immediately come yes. on yeah, you've I'll been working on too hard not I'll to celebrate <laughs> make a note sminty <laughs> professional advice I got you. Come on. Come on. I got you. It's going to be like a office coffee. But yeah, I got you. <laughs> office coffee. <laughs> free, right? It's free. Mm. Take I think we can do better than that. <laughs> Don't promise her that. Well, all right. Stickler, Samantha. <laughs> so as an advocate who you have been working on this for a while and it has been a lot of hard work that you put into it. Can you summarize what this last year has been like for you and for people who have been trying to make change? You know, it's hard to speak for an entire like people, disparate people group, (laughs) but I'll try my best. Uh, I think that particularly in Georgia, it's a special time. You throw COVID on top of it and a lack of opportunity, the normal opportunity you have to connect with people and, and relationally build something with people. And then we were given this gift of having a common goal that we can work toward together, complete strangers in a lot of, a lot of situations. And I don't have to talk about like where you're from or what do you do for a living or any of those pleasantries, we cut the crap and what do you need from me? And how can I help? And how are we going to get this thing done together? And so this past year for me has been an amazing blessing of being able to collectively work toward and make an impact with people who I normally wouldn't cross paths with, mm-hmm. in the, even in the before times, you know? Mm-hmm. That's been amazing and wonderful. And I think it also gave an opportunity to think about how many times are there things that we're presented that seem like they would never happen or seem like they're impossible. And so we just don't even embark on it. But there's a vision and you get a few people to come alongside you in that, like what can be accomplished. Mm -hmm. Um, So coming out of 2020, 
the cluster that was 2020 to walk away as a group of organizers in Atlanta with that sentiment, I think that that has the ability to really change this state moving forward if we continue to remember that and keep it at the forefront of our minds. It's been a long, hard road. And we know organizations have been working for a while now when we talk about Black Votes Matter and Latasha Brown, who has been working. And, and I think they had a huge ordeal in 2018 where their buses, which they toured through uh, Georgia, trying to get people to vote, especially Black voters to come out, um, older Black voters taking them out. And they were stopped mm-hmm. uh, by the state mm-hmm. as uh, pandering and all these things. And it was so obnoxious. But to see them in this fight and get to this point, to be able to push and get these results, which has been a long time in the making. I mean, the question is, where do we think we go from here? I mean, it feels like we can only go to the back to the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we've got well, to be towards the top. Attitude. A little bit scared. <laughs> I'm a little scared. I'm a little. This is a pessimist in me. But but as the state and as the new political mission has stepped into power, what do we see? What do we? Where do we go from where? How do we continue to push the progress? So to me, it's that exact sentiment of seeing things that seem like they will never come to fruition, come to fruition, having that push progress forward. So, Mm -hmm. okay, now we have two Democratic senators in Georgia. Our entire General Assembly, our state Senate and our state House are majority control Republican. And the conventional wisdom is that is the way it always will be because it's Georgia. Well take a lesson that we just learned and say that that doesn't have to be the way it always is if we can mount up people who have a vision and are able to articulate it and it's done in a way that other people catch that vision and want to make change. So Hmm. where do we go from here is not resting on our laurels, not saying like we've checked a box, we're good. We need to make sure. And that goes outside of Georgia. You know, South Carolina was real close. You know, it was real close. There was there was a possibility there. And toward the end, you can get into the quote unquote scandals and whatever that that affected uh, Lindsey Graham's race there. Mm -hmm. Or some folks are talking about, you know, what happened here in Georgia. Easily that same blueprint could be utilized in Mississippi or Mm -hmm. Louisiana or perhaps even Alabama, because Mm -hmm. of the same kind of demographic makeups that are in those states. And what would happen if all of a sudden you have all these little purple and blue pockets that pop up in the South? What would that do? So to answer your question, where do we go from here is we remember and use that as a motivator working forward that like, Things can change if we decide that we want to change them. Right. And you're talking about Alabama. I mean, they had Doug Jones as a Democratic senator. Mm-hmm. And that was a shock. That was a shock amongst a lot of politicians and a lot of people within Alabama and around the country. But again, that was also a credit to, right. once again, Black women stepping up and really pushing him forward and, and talking about the need for this type of change. And then it kind of slipped away. Right. And whether it's because people got comfortable or whether it's because 
the other uh, Republican Party came up and realized this is a hard fight mm-hmm. slash let's suppress more, which is a other conversation we need to talk about. But yeah, definitely looking at other states like that and why it's important to keep up the momentum is a huge, huge conversation that we have to keep having. I'm not going to lie. I'm scared that it's going away. I think that fear can be healthy. If fear kept within its bounds can be a great motivator. Right. That's fair. That's true. True. <laughs> Yeah, I love the idea that other states and and people in other states are looking at Georgia and thinking, oh, like maybe, maybe this can be done. And, and, you know, there has been this wonderful feeling of, wow, Georgia elected two Democrats. I never thought it would happen. But then on the hand, you have like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So there's like that kind of (laughs) tension where I'm like, oh, I'm so proud, but damn it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But Talking about different states and kind of like what you were talking about, Samantha, with suppression, um, what should we be paying attention to in different states that are ramping up, um, like putting laws in place um, or statutes in order to suppress votes? So keep in mind that, you know, we've been talking about federal election, but the majority of voter rights legislation is coming from their state level. There have been has been discussion on the federal side of putting some teeth back into the Voting Rights Act, but there's no guarantee in that. And then when you do that, the people who actually implement it are still on the state level. So we need to focus on that. Your state senators, your state house representatives, what are they doing? And so things that I would encourage people to do, watch the nightly news. I know it's like, Six o'clock, I'm not going to sit down and the woman with way too much makeup on her face and the guy with the spray hair on, like, it's it feels like it could be a complete waste of time. But at the very least, like, fast forward through on your DVR, DVR it, fast forward through and see what pops up because they are reporting on it. Subscribe to your local newspaper and support local journalism. And even if it's an e-read that pops into your email inbox... A lot of them have like a politics blog or a politics newsletter that goes out to be able to just see what's happening. And then if something does happen that looks like it's going to negatively affect people's rights at the ballot box, talk to your representative. These folks are not voted in by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes, particularly in non-presidential years. It's a very small electorate that goes out for local down-ballot non-presidential elections. So your vote is far more powerful than you think it is. And uh, speaking of that, we're seeing it in Georgia. We're seeing it in real time, and it's being blasted pretty quickly. Places like Gwinnett County, which had a big turnout for marginalized votes, like this was a big area that did turn blue and gave a significant amount of votes to help flip it. And we have the new chairwoman of the election board coming out strong, talking about we're going to take out the absentee voting. We're no excuse absentee voting, or we're never going to win again. And she is identified as a Republican Party. So she outright said, if we want to win... We have to take away votes. She said the thing you're not supposed to say out loud, out loud, which is like, (laughs) voter suppression 101, guys. You don't say that out loud. Be sneaky about it. But that that's that conversation is we're going to see this in high gear and they're going to do it when they think people aren't paying attention. Because we also know that within our state, they're talking about doing the double 
voter ID check, essentially, saying that, okay, not only do you have to show it to us once, you have to send us another copy of it again to verify, which is an absurdity in itself. It's like, it's already complicated to register because, you, and also you need a typically an identifying number. So why do we need to do photocopies to mail in, to mail in, to mail in, essentially like uh, repeatedly? Also, if you've ever been underage and drank, it's not hard to forge a photocopied driver's license. Right. Like, is this going right. to be the level of security that we're putting over right. our voting system? Photocopied <laughs> driver's licenses? Like, come on. That's clearly... there. Are, not only are there better ways, but you're clearly showing your hand as to right. you're just wanting to make this overly complicated. Right. Make it overly complicated. And also this whole narrative of people wanting to be fraudulent voting, which we already know is not a thing. This whole idea that what they say, dead people are illegal, which is absurd in itself. The, the illegal immigrants, they're doing the illegal votes, illegal votes. And you're like, no, these people are literally trying to remain in the country and just remaining in the shadows because you've put the fear of God in them that if they do anything wrong, any bit of things wrong, that they're going to be deported at any moment or detained for months and months and months and months at a time. So I'm looking at all of that. What can we do to make sure not only are we on top of things, again, not only calling our representatives, how do we highlight and make sure these things do not go under the radar? So the first thing I would say is, and this might sound super simple, but paying attention to who you vote for. Because right. we're not always in the rooms. We're not always on the committees. We're not presenting the bills, but right. our representatives are and should be. And so pay attention to that. And when it comes election time and folks are doing door knocking and they're doing their town halls or you know coming to those neighborhood meetings, ask the question, what's your position on this? What are you planning to do to protect my right to vote for you if I choose mm -hmm. to do that? make sure that they know before they even get into the seat that this is important to you as a constituent. So I think that that's, that's super important and, and a relatively easy, you know, it's only going to come up every two to four years that you're having to kind of do that kind of work. Another thing that I've found in my research is actually real helpful. So doing the phone calls, doing the letters, that kind of stuff, sure, it is noticed and it can be noticed. But doing things as a group tends to get more traction. And maybe it's not voter rights. Maybe it's transportation. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's, I want more bike lanes in my city. Having small coalitions, it does not have to be fancy. You don't need a website or a webpage. Just having a few people go down to your capital periodically to engage with your representatives on a particular issue two things happen. One is that they perceive you to be organized even when you're not, <laughs> which is powerful. Okay. Right. Second is that you're not the new kid that pops up when the bill of issues suddenly arises. Like they're like, oh, Samantha, yeah, you come here every quarter just to talk about your desire for, you know, increased subway access. Now we've mm -hmm. got this bill up. If it's between taking a call from Samantha and taking a call from Annie, who I've never seen before, I'm going to talk. Uh, poor, poor Annie. Um, I'm going to talk to right, Samantha and her group. In <laughs> her group of you know four ragtag friends that go down there, talk to their folks, and then go eat lunch, you know, afterward. So 
a little bit goes a long way. And the last thing I would say is, so I did this in the, the reason that I say that in Atlanta, we have a huge issue with exclusive gentrification. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did some work in affordable housing uh, on the city side. And it wasn't a big group of us, but we showed up at city council meetings and it wasn't long before the city council members were like, so what do you suggest? What do you think we should do? And we didn't have any idea (laughs) because we weren't (laughs) anticipating they would ask such a question, but they asked the Mm -hmm. question because we kept showing up. Right. So just show up. I love that. This kind of reminds me of the uh, Parks and Rec episode where she's suspended so she can't sit and do nothing. She starts creating groups and organizations, PCP. (laughs) Remember y'all? Not for the drug. Vaguely. <laughs> oh, well, then I don't remember. Like, she was like, I'm going to be an advocate and I'm going to get into their faces and we need to change and make this parks great. And so she decided as a citizen to create a group. Anyway, it was a great episode. But it does kind of remind me of that situation. And, and oftentimes, much like uh, her group and a lot of these groups, it is female-centric. Like It ends up being mainly women who are these organizers and come out with these conversations and these needs and realizing, hey, this is how we do it. And I think it's, it's very interesting that when you look at that perspective, you're like, there it is. That's why women get things done. Yep. I mean, we're pretty good at communicating. <laughs> so <laughs> let's use it for the good, you know? <laughs> So how do we honor people who have been tirelessly fighting to push for voter rights and fighting suppression and bringing awareness to these issues within individual states and specifically to this Senate race in Georgia, since that is near and dear to our hearts? Yeah, I think, and this isn't just the folks who have been working on this recently. Like, this is like civil rights... 2.0 or 3.0. So I would even say like, we're not even necessarily honoring the work that we are presently doing. We are honoring the history that has come before us for decades. And I'm doing my best to honor it and what I'm doing, you know, in my city. So how do you do that? Being involved as much as you can. I mean, everybody has a lot on their plate. We've got jobs, we have family, We've got COVID and the reality that we're living in. Sit and think about what matters to you and try to make an impact in what matters. Maybe voting rights is not your thing. I don't even think that's necessarily the point is to get everybody on board to say like, you need to care about this, but you do need to care about something. And if all Mm -hmm. of us care about something and do something in that something area, that can multiply change and kind of increase impact. So I think the honoring, the low-hanging fruit is like vote and, you know, make sure your vote is informed and that kind of thing. I think the true honoring is actually do what you see other people doing in an area that really impassions you, that really fires you up. And 
let's multiply this thing. And specific to that, when we talk about addressing specific issues or interests or passions, what are some things that we need to pay attention to when it comes to rights for women and rights specifically with women of color? I know uh, one of the big conversations is ratifying the ERA or the Equal Rights Amendment, which is still a conversation and is absurd to me, but whatever. But what is some of the key issues that we should be paying attention to as this new administration is, has taken power? Yeah. Well, first, when you said that, so recently I was watching an episode of The West Wing, which is from like mm. early 2000s, that they were talking about the ERA. And I'm like, just shaking <laughs> yeah. my head. Like, how, how are we still talking about the same thing? <laughs> but in that same level of frustration, I think we can take a little bit of encouragement by even seeing Biden's cabinet picks so far of really being intentional about picking women and women of color and of very like diverse descent and putting them into the positions of power. And we know what that does and how that trickles down and how those policies will be shaped differently because it's a different perspective on the table than has been there traditionally. So that's one thing. And then secondly, also being encouraged by how Vice President Harris has already been utilized within the administration. So for folks who may not know, typically a vice president, you know, isn't really incorporated into the day-to-day of the White Like they have their own policies, kind of like the first lady. They have their pet projects that they do and they're kind of brought in um, as a hired gun occasionally, particularly on a big Senate vote or something like that. But in this case, by all reports, Kamala is in on the briefings. She's in on the meetings. She is participating in the setting of the agenda. So I'm encouraged by that to know that women and women of color are going to be crafting the policies that matter to us. I think that's huge. The one last thing I would encourage people to do as well, Biden did run on specific women's agendas. And it's still up on the website. Go check it out. I, I Right before we came on, I logged in just to make sure that it's still there. Um, he has a section on Biden's agenda for women. And read over it and commit it to memory because I honestly don't care who you are. I still want to hold you accountable come time for election and know that you are actually following through on all the things that you promised me when I voted for you. Right. And that's a great segue into my last question because that's definitely a big conversation as we have this, oh, thank you, Black women who worked so hard. Thank you, women of color who have pushed for these votes and, and, you know, tirelessly went forward and kept pushing and kept pushing and worked your asses off to get this done. Now they're like, okay, we got you here. You're acknowledging that we did this. Are you going to hold up your part of the bargain? this conversation? Like, Yeah, that you said that you would make these changes and make these corrections that have been so abhorrent for years. And and that's kind of that question. So how do we keep the people we elected that we said we want you to be in this position? How do we hold them accountable? Yeah. And that goes back to making sure that you have a pulse on what's going on. And it's going to be way easier to talk to your local representative. Like you can't, you can try and call up Biden to, to give him a piece of your mind. <laughs> you try that. Um, it's going to be a little easier to get to your senator. It's going to be even easier to get to your House representative. So as you go down the ballot to be able to reach out to these folks, 
Um, and again, in the same way of doing it in coalition groups in areas that matter to you. So women's issues like healthcare, if that's an issue for you, um, and making sure that women's health centers are protected and funded, then you're allowed to express that in a group on a consistent basis to your representative. And they start to get to know you. They have an office in Washington, but they all have a local office in their district. And they are oftentimes are either physically there or a representative is there to take a meeting on their behalf. Make a meeting. Go talk to them. That's how you hold them accountable. Yeah, I, I love that. Make a meeting sounds so professional. Like I'm, I'm already like, ooh, make a meeting. <laughs> For instance, I did have one girlfriend who um, she has a, a traumatic brain injury and she needs ketamine injections, which is like a, I believe, a schedule three narcotic. So you have to go through all these hoops. But that's literally the only way that she can function. And there was some issues with they were going to do a crackdown on the Fed level on ketamine injections and insurance wasn't going to cover it anymore. And she literally would be bedridden. She went down to, at this time, it was Senator Isaacson's office. She calls me from the office and she's like, what do I do? And I'm like, don't leave until someone talks to you. And so she went to the nice secretary who was lovely <laughs> and asked if there was time. And they said, oh, you know, um, we, we could take a, take a message and, and, and reach out to you. And she's like, that's okay, I'll wait. And she just sat in the front office and they gave her a meeting because they were like, <laughs> oh, I guess this chick isn't leaving. And yeah. I guess, I mean, that's why I say do something that matters to you. Because for her, the difference was whether she could work or not whether she could right. get out of bed life altering. And so sitting in the office for a little bit longer ain't no thing because it's better than laying in bed. Right. But they don't want you sitting there for days at a time. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, they don't want that negative attention in general. Right. And as we know, which is unfortunate to where we are, and, and we could also talk about the whole labeling of cancel culture and it being uh, <laughs> misconstrued to being canceled as opposed to being held accountable. Correct. And that's a whole different conversation. And we've actually talked about it before, but we can definitely see it playing out today in politics as they're like, oh, because I'm far right, they're canceling me. I'm like, you're still talking. No, it's you're so <laughs> you're not canceled. <laughs> Calm <Yeah>. down. <laughs> Which is a whole also one of our uh, representatives who she continues to say that as well. This is just cancel culture. I'm, I'm like, woman, <laughs> you literally said that yourself. There's no editing. You're being called out for the things that you've said. So take responsibility, which is a whole different conversation in itself. And it makes me sad that, yes, people like her have taken away from some of the great things that is happening, such as Senator Reverend Warnock coming out and coming hard in about the voting rights conversation, as well as Senator Ossoff coming in with his uh, new agendas. And I love it because it's like, yes, let's get this underway. And, and it's been phenomenal to see and sad that the first couple of weeks is just trying to undo some of the things in the past four years. Yeah. But it's, at the same time, kind of like, yeah, having the bricks lifted off of your already beaten down body. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> From the it's past true. year. I mean, y'all, this past Sunday, I was sitting watching Meet the Press and I was just like playing on my phone and I kind of looked up just to see what they were talking about. And I was like, oh, you know, just appoint like cabinet appointments, went back to playing on my phone. It was just so nice. It was right. so nice. 
I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) And and we know, again, there's a lot of work ahead. And we know that that we have to keep our representatives and our elected officials accountable. And that's the conversation because... Yes, the conversation is, is this a true democracy? Has this being, is this a fair representation? And and there's a lot of back and forth about, well, is it? You know, and, and that's something that we have to be a part of as well and, and pushing and making sure those changes happen and making sure that our voices are heard and that people who can't advocate for themselves, that we are able to do that because it has to happen. It has to be a thing in order for true democracy to happen. Again, we know as a huge conflict and a debate in itself. And I will say just for one thing that I guess I should call myself out on that you bring up, the idea that my friend could sit in that office for a while is a point of privilege. Like she's not mm-hmm. an hourly worker. She talked to her boss, let them know what they were doing. So when you're saying, you know, speaking on behalf of people who can't speak for themselves, that I'm glad you bring that up because it's a very good point that there were plenty of other people who were also getting those same infusions, those ketamine infusions, who were suffering the same consequences as my friend. Right. And she was in a position of privilege to be able to do something about it. Um, and she chose to use her privilege to help herself, but also benefit others. Right. So I think it's important to keep that in mind, too. And yeah, that's definitely a conversation, you know, that I have had as a social worker coming through trying to be like, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I want to do. But it's so easy to be swept up with being angry. That I forget that part. I forget yeah. the part about, oh, this is not just about me. But yeah, I think we definitely have to keep having these conversations. And though the dramatic bits are kind of lessened, I guess, because we have pushed out, voted out some of the more uh, horrific... <laughs> incendiary tinder boxes. Right. Uh, We still have to keep paying attention. We still have to have that conversation. We still have to look at our local areas and we're not the only one. I know California is going through some big things on their local level, including the fact that they appointed for uh, now Vice President Harris, which felt kind of insulting for Mm -hmm. a lot of the citizens to California. And I think that's something that should be talked about. Why are we not allowing for that to happen? Why can't they vote? What's the problem? You know, it is a lot of things that we have to look at and keep talking about. And talking about the fact that this does affect women and those marginalized to the core. Like, if things are not fixed for the marginalized community and for those who people aren't paying attention to sometimes, are ignoring both of those things, it becomes a massive problem and it becomes what has been happening as of late, including the riots. I mean, lest we forget, 70 million people voted in the other direction. Those people are still here. They're still in our country. They're still our bosses. They're still our neighbors. A man leaving the White House doesn't change the landscape of our country. That's true. But, we can still celebrate yes. the victories that we have. And we and will. will. And damn it, we will. Yes. And Melody, Melody you better I will. get out there and celebrate. I bought you some whiskey not too long ago. You did. I've already <laughs> finished that bottle, though. I was going to say, it was actually a long time ago. I'll probably owe you another bottle because it's been a while. It's been two years. Y'all's yeah. time doesn't exist in my I've head. Done, I've done uh, finished that. Quarantine took yeah, that Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but I will buy you another one so you could actually celebrate as you have put in a lot of work. And you've put in a lot of work for us. And you're definitely going to be coming back on still because we're going to keep talking about the different issues that are affecting, especially when we talk about gentrification and housing for women because that's still a thing. But 
We just want to thank you for being here and doing that work and doing that work on the ground and coming back and reporting to us and also continuing to teach others to do more. Because I think that takes a lot out of people. And for you to be able to do that, for you to be willing to do that is huge and has been a privilege for us. So thank you so much, Melanie. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And honestly, like doing things from your passion, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel quite as taxing or like work. Like this was an amazing year. And I'm super proud of what we as a state were able to do. And it's nice to win. <laughs> it is. It feels better when you win. It does. That's true. That sounds like a like final line in a movie. Like in between, there's been this like battle between two. I'm, I'm talking about The Godfather, which I have right. seen, but don't remember. But like at the end, the winning side is like, it's nice to win. And then it comes to black. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. I love Part. it. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> yes, thanks as always for joining us, Melody. Where can the good listeners find you? So you can find me on my own local political podcast called Civic, S-I-V-I-K, on any place that you listen to or download your podcast. Yes, and absolutely do that, listeners. Can't wait until you return, Melody. In the meantime, if you'd like to contact us, you can. Our email's stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 